Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? I am Pastor Jared. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I am not Pastor Jared. I know it was probably hard to tell. We look so similar. Only I'm better looking, right? I can say that because he's not here. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm, my name is Matthew. Uh, and I am the worship and ministries pastor here at Rice Church, um, and it is my greatest honor uh, to stand up here today before you all, and uh, Pastor Jared asked me to fill in for him uh, as he's away this weekend. This past week, um, quite a bit of our staff here at the church, we got to go down south um, to a conference, a church conference, um, all geared around how to build a healthy church and, and how as leaders... Um, God has called us to serve and, and not how to grow a big church, not how to have the biggest church in town, but how to, how, how, how to lead people into a, a spiritual, healthy place. And, and it was amazing. It was great. But if I'm being completely honest with you, uh, I did not want to go this week. I was not looking forward to it. Uh, it had been a pretty rough couple of weeks leading up to it for me personally. Um, just going through some stuff, and I didn't want to go. Um, in fact, when we got down there on Monday, um, I was in a pretty terrible mood. Uh, some of our staff that are in the room can probably attest to that. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Edward. <laughs> um, I didn't want to be there, and... I tried to convince my wife uh, to let me come home, and she's mean to me, so she wouldn't let me. <laughs> Terrible. But you always know when you don't want to be somewhere that typically that's exactly where God wants you to be. And I didn't know why, but we'll get to that. Pastor Jared asked if I would fill in for him this weekend, and he gave me the option. We've, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know we've been in the series uh, called Blessed, and we've been studying the Beatitudes. So he said, you know, you can kind of pause the series if you'd like and, and just do a one-off, um, and you can do whatever you want. So I said, awesome. You got a lot of trust in me, man. <laughs> but as I sat, I thought and contemplated, and in and, and all honesty, I had like six different messages that I had tried to start and prepare and really just wrestling with God on what he wanted to share with what he wanted to share through me and what he was impressing on my heart. And I thought I was ready to go, and then we went to the conference, and on Wednesday night, um, man, God just wrecked me. And then I realized why I was there. And what I believe God wants me to share with you this morning is I want to take a time out from this series on blessed, the Beatitudes part of it. And I want to focus on that word blessed. And I want to share my story with you. And I want to share with you how God has blessed me in my life in the midst of my brokenness. Life is hard, isn't it? I always find it interesting when I, when I ask that question in a church setting like this. There always seems to be two different groups, right? There are those of you that are quick to respond and say, yep, I'm not ashamed, I am a mess, I, my life is broken and I am messed up. And then there's this other group love just as much and what they do is they kind of look over their shoulder like is there anybody else that's gonna nope uh doesn't anybody nope it doesn't look like it okay i'm not going to either because we're in church and he can't possibly this i mean this is a pastor right he said he was a pastor i mean he doesn't look like a pastor he's got tattoos and he looks like a weirdo but he's a pastor he can't possibly be wanting us to actually answer this question honestly right like we're in church. I mean, uh, this is a trick question, right? Like, he's, he's joking with us. Like, he can't possibly be wanting to know that we're broken. He can't possibly be expecting anybody to raise their hand. We're church people. We're supposed to have it all together, aren't we? I want to let you in on a little secret. If you walked into this room this morning and you're broken and you're hurting, you came to the right place. And I do not stand above you, but I stand next to you very broken and imperfect man who does not have it all together, does not have it all figured out. You came to the right place, and I, for one, am glad you're here. 
So let me ask you this question again, and maybe we can get a little more participation. Isn't life hard sometimes? Sometimes I feel like we're just walking through the valley of our life. We're just stuck, or we're in a rut, and there's pain and confusion, and and there's brokenness. And a lot of things in life, most of the time, can feel a little bit unsettled, a little bit hurt, a little bit broken. Some of it because of things and decisions that we make. Other times it's things that are outside of our control and we have nothing to do with and life just kind of happens and it can be a bit confusing and hard sometimes. We got back from the conference on, we got back Thursday, my wife on Friday, she needed to go to the grocery store to get food for us because we had been gone all week and I decided the boys, our sons, I have two boys, they were taking a nap, so I decided to sit down and watch TV and I was watching uh, my favorite TV show, which I'm not going to tell you the name of it because uh, I don't want you to feel the need to judge me too harshly. <laughs> Some of you will probably be able to figure it out uh, as I tell you the story. But they were sharing these clips of these like near-death experiences that these people were having. And this one particular clip, it was this guy, and you're seeing this camera shot from what looked like to be a convenience store outside of a convenience store. And it was a pretty wide angle, so you could see the entire street and the other side of the street and pretty far down the road. And it's showing this video, and it starts, and all you see is this guy who's walking down the street, and he's got his, his phone in this hand, and he's just kind of looking down, and he's walking, and he's walking, and he's walking, and he's walking, not paying attention to anything. People are walking, like, around him because he's not paying attention. And then all of a sudden, off in the distance, you see this car and it's coming down the road, and then as it's approaching him, it's still quite a bit off in the distance. You see what looks like to me like it just like explodes. Like I, I don't know what happened to the car, but it looked like like I don't know what happened, but the car like exploded. And one of the front tires came off the car, like came off the axle and just started spinning and started traveling down the road like fast. It was I mean and it was coming straight for this guy. Like, if this was bowling, this was going to be a strike, right? Like, and so I'm watching this unfold, and I'm thinking to myself, man, this is going to be hilarious. I mean, terrible. This is going to be terrible, right? Like, this tire is coming at this guy, and I'm like, yeah, this guy, is, he doesn't know it yet, but this is going to be the worst day of his life. And at the last possible second, he looks up from his phone, and he sees the tire, and he goes, whoop, and the tire goes right by him. And I'm like, dang it. I mean, <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you, Lord. Yes, this is great. This is, this is awesome, right? And then the tire crashes into the front of the store and destroys the whole thing. And I'm sitting there watching this unfold, and being the super spiritual person that I am, as you can probably tell by now, I start to think, I start to think about God's truth. I start to think about you. And I start to think about me. Because most of the time, our lives can go by at what seems to be like 100 miles an hour. We're just running from one thing to the next. And most of the time, I think maybe daily, God presents himself to us. He presents his truth to us, whether through his word or through other people. And because we're so busy and we're looking down and we're not paying attention, we just kind of step to the left of it. Or we swerve to the right of it. And we miss it. And we completely miss out on what God is wanting to do and what God is wanting to show us. Because our lives are so busy and we're in such a rush we miss it but the truth is God wants to use us and God is trying to get our attention and sometimes it might feel like a giant tire rolling down the the road coming straight at you and God wants to get our attention I don't care how broken you are I don't care how messed up you think you are I don't care how big of a mess you think you've made of your life God wants to use you. And not a future version of you. Not some off in the distance you when you get your life all together and you have it all figured out and, and you, you make your life look like this beautiful picture. 
He wants to use you right where you are, right now. So if you came in this morning broken and hurting, God sees you, and God wants to use you. You guys have your Bibles with you today? Some of you. If not, we have Bibles under the chairs. You can grab those. Uh, We're going to be in the book of John today, and we're going to be looking at one of my favorite stories in John chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, just to throw this out there, those Bibles under the chair are actually for you, so please feel free to take one home. Um, That's our gift to you. Um, But we're going to be in the book of John. We're going to be looking in chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at one of my personal favorite miracles that's found in the Bible. We know, uh, those of us that have been in church any, any matter of time or spent any time in the Word, we know that Jesus performed many, many miracles, right? Um, the first four books of the New Testament are referred to as the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Very good. Um, and we know that a lot of what is talked about is just from different perspectives. So a lot of the stories and a lot of the miracles that we find in the Gospels are repeated. Right? And they're just kind of told from a different perspective. But what I love about this particular miracle is this is one of the only miracles that is found in the Bible, and it's not repeated once. It's only found in the book of John. You're not going to find it in Matthew. You're not going to find it in Mark. You're not going to find it in Luke. You're only going to find this story in the book of John. And I, I think that's maybe important. But we're going to look at this miracle together. So John chapter 5, we're going to dive right in. Um, in verse 1, and we'll put it up on the screen for you too, and I believe it's in your outline, Um, but I'm just going to read this for us. So John chapter 5, verse 1, it says, After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a place, a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of disabled, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man who had been disabled for 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and realized that he had already been there a long time, Jesus asked the man, do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, but while I'm coming, somebody goes down ahead of me, some of your translations, somebody jumps ahead of me and goes in before me. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, Verse 9, it says, Instantly the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. Now this day was the Sabbath. And we're going to stop right there because those first nine verses are rich with meaning and purpose and direction. Man, I love this story. It's a story about a man, and like most miracles in the Bible, Scripture doesn't even tell us what his name is. But it's a story about a man who is sitting on a mat at this pool bank by a pool in Bethesda. And he's there with a bunch of other disabled people lying around. Those that are there are blind and and paralyzed and lame and can't walk. and, And they're all waiting. They're waiting because it was believed that every once in a while... God would send down these angels to stir the waters in this pool, and the very first person that would get into the pool would miraculously and instantly be healed every single time. So these people are laying by this pool that they know God has supernaturally blessed and has supernaturally provided so that they could get into these waters and have this supernatural healing take place in their life. So they're sitting there, and they're waiting. And they're banking on a ticket, a ticket more or less, that will heal them. That will rid them of their brokenness and make them whole. And on this particular day that we get a glimpse into, this man, he's sitting and he's waiting. Because he wants to be healed. Can you imagine his frustration? Can you imagine his his agony as he's laying by this pool. He's so close, this disabled man. We don't even know how he got there. We don't know how long he's been there. It says that he's disabled for 38 years. He could have been laying there the whole time, waiting so close, right on the edge, right next to this pool. And every time he sees these waters start to stir and he knows my healing is right there, I can get in, somebody jumps ahead of him. 
Can you imagine how frustrating that must be? They're sitting there, and people are literally biting at the bit to get into this pool because they are so close, and yet they are so far away. And they're longing for a hope, a hope to be healed and made whole, a hope to be changed. And I feel like that's many of us in the room today. Some of you in the room have been going through some tremendous pain. And I know that because I can see it in your face. And you've been going through some tremendous amount of hurts. Some you've caused yourself. Some are completely outside of, of anything that you have caused. Brokenness that has been inflicted on you. And it digs deep. And the pain is real, isn't it? And I'm not standing up here judging you because what you need to understand about me is that's my story. That's my song. And we carry that pain and we carry those scars. Sometimes they never go away. Sometimes we wait. And it feels like we're laying by this pool like this man and all of these other disabled people and we're just waiting. Waiting for what? Well, sometimes I think we wait on the Lord. But most of the time I don't think we do. I think we cling to bitterness. We cling to anger. And God doesn't want that either. I want to share a couple pictures with you today. Is that okay? Awesome. Cool. If not, again, I have the mic. You don't, so I guess I can just do it. <laughs> so, Paul, let's get that first, first picture up there. Oh, right? That's me. I don't know if you know this about me, but I used to be a cowboy and a policeman. Uh, I was pretty awesome. That was a long time ago. I was a lot cuter back then, too. Don't say amen. <laughs> Go ahead and pull that next one up, Paul. There I am. I think this more articulates who I am. Uh, that, uh, I'm sitting next to my Mima in this picture. And that, uh, I was in Texas at the time, that's where I was born. And uh, that is one of the most perfectly executed eye rolls I have ever seen in my life. Some of you know Monique, she sings on the worship team. I, I, mine's better, okay? So, you don't know who she is, I'll tell you, and then I'll tell her to roll her eyes at you so you'll know what I'm talking about, all right? Go ahead and pull up the next one, Paul. There I am again, a little bigger. I grew up, uh, I grew up playing baseball. Any baseball fans in the house? Awesome. Any, uh, true Christian Dodger fans? There we go. That's what I'm talking about. Those of you that are giant fans, we'll, uh, we'll pray for you later. After service, we're going to have a whole team of people come and lay hands on you and, and get it out of you. But I grew up, I, I grew up playing baseball. Um, I think a more accurate uh, thing to say was I, I was obsessed with baseball. Uh, my mom's over here. She can attest to that. But I grew up, and I was, I was blessed uh, to have a gift, a, a natural gift to play the game. I played it for as long as I can remember. I think I started playing baseball when I was about four years old. Um, and again, I, I, was, I was blessed enough to have a, a, a gift at this, and I thought um, that it was what I was going to spend the rest of my life doing. Um, I knew that if I wasn't able to, to go pro, that I would at least be able to go to college um, on a scholarship and play and, and be a part of baseball somehow, and um, that was my dream, and that was my passion. Go ahead and go to the next one. Um, this is a, an award ceremony that I was a part of. Um, I don't know if they still do this, but used to be that they would bring, at the end of the regular season for baseball, they would bring all the kids together from all over the valley, the ones that were, like, the best, and, and you'd get on a team together, and then you'd travel up and down the state playing against teams from California and all over the country, the best of the best, and I was blessed enough to be a part of that. Go ahead and go to the next one. Uh, there I am, right there in the middle, the handsome one. 
the rest of those kids are evil. <laughs> they look evil, don't they? Yeah, these were, these were all my best friends growing up. We played baseball together from, I want to say, when we were four up until high, through high school. A lot of them played through high school. I played a little bit in high school. We'll get to that in a bit. Go ahead and pull up the next picture, Paul. This is my family. There I am, the handsome one in the group. My two sisters next to me, Brittany, she lives up in Sacramento with her husband and their daughter, and my sister Tiffany, who many of you know, my little sister Sarah, and there's my mom, and my dad, John, to the right of me. I grew up in a blended family. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was really young, and that's the man who raised me. Uh, he, was, he was my dad, so if you ever hear me refer to my dad, that's, that's who I'm talking about. He was killed in a motorcycle accident several years ago. And uh, there's not a day that goes by that I don't miss him. Sorry. You think by the third time this would be a little easier. A day came about a year after that last picture that we just showed. I was in about the 10th grade. And I went to bed feeling normal, looking normal, much better than most of you in the room. <laughs> but I, I felt great. I felt normal. I, I went to bed, and baseball season had already started. And for me and a lot of my buddies... Um, that were in some of those pictures when we were younger. We were in, again, we were in high school in the 10th grade, and for a lot of us, we, we didn't really try out for baseball anymore. We, we were pretty much just on the team year after year, especially once we got into high school. The coaches knew who we were, and you moved up. Those of you that played high school sports or excelled at high school sports knows how that works, but you show up to tryouts, and you're on the team, but you just have to kind of go through the motions, and they have to give all the kids that want to try out a shot to make the team. So, Tryouts had already started, and, and we were out there, and everything was going fine, normal, and we had a new coach that year who didn't know any of us, but um, was around long enough to, to at least know that we could all play, and, and it was good. And I went to bed, and a day came uh, that I'll never forget. It was in April um, 2004, and I woke up just like any other day, normal day, I thought, and I stood to my feet. I went to take a step towards the bathroom to go take a shower, and it felt like what I can only describe as, as almost like my legs, each of them, had, had gained like a thousand pounds overnight. It was like somebody had, in the middle of the night, come into my room and tied cinder blocks around my feet, and I didn't realize it. It was the weirdest feeling in the world. I stood to my feet, and I just remember being like, man, this is is weird. Maybe I'm getting sick. You see, I was born with a condition called muscular dystrophy. Anybody heard of that? Some of you in the room. So it's a genetic disorder. Um, it's a chromosome, some number deficiency. I don't know the technical terms for it, but basically what it does is it attacks the muscles in your body, and it causes the muscle tissue in your body to break down at a very quick pace. Um, specifically, there are eight different types of muscular dystrophy, and the one that I was uh, blessed to have, that'll make more sense later, um, is actually the rarest form. Not a whole lot of research done, not a whole lot of knowledge about it, even to this day. And uh, basically what it does is it breaks down the, the muscles and specifically attacks the muscles in your face and your arms and your shoulders and your legs and when you're very young, it, it doesn't typically affect you all that much. So for me, I, I was good with it because all it ever did was really affect my, the muscles in my face. So whenever I talk, the muscles in my mouth don't really move. So I always thought that, you know, if, if I end up not making it too far in baseball, I'll be one of those, like, puppeteers, you know, because <laughs> this is awesome, right? Like, can't, can't laugh at yourself. It's going to be a hard life, right? <laughs> 
Um, so it didn't really affect me. I, I wasn't really concerned with it. I, I was just like, okay, yeah, it's good. It's fine. Never, everything's good. But when you get to about the ages between 11 to, to about 18, 19, um, the muscles in your body seem to break down at what feels like overnight. So I go to school that day, and I show up to the very last day of tryouts, and we're getting ready to start our warm-up laps around the baseball field. And uh, I go to run, and I can't. Like in my mind, I was like Forrest Gump, right? I was taken off. I was, in my mind, I was going. I was ready to take off, and I just, I couldn't. My mind wanted to go, but my legs just, couldn't. And I remember my coach pulling me aside that day and asking me if I was okay. You see, up until this point, I had never had to have a conversation with anybody about my disability outside of my family because it hadn't really affected me. So I, I never had to talk to anybody about it or, or, or let them know or anything, right? Like, I, I didn't have to tell them about my condition. But that day, that day I did. And I had to sit down and I tell, told him about my muscular dystrophy and how I thought that I was just at a point where my body wasn't going to allow me to play anymore. I wasn't sure. I, I, was, I was kind of full of a, at least a little bit of hope. And I said, I, I really hope that I'm wrong. And, I, and I'm really hoping that I'm just having a bad day and maybe I'm getting sick. And, and I'm hoping I'm having a bad day and I can probably just finish out the year and everything will be fine and everything. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to feel normal. And I didn't. And he didn't know me. He didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to do. So he didn't say or do anything. The next day, packed up my stuff, packed up all of my, my gear, and headed to school like any other day. As I, you know, I knew that the, the list of the final roster was going to be posted for varsity and in the locker room, and I knew, thought my name would be on the list. So I remember walking into the locker room at Tulare Union. Any Tulare Union people? There we go. Cool. The rest of you are sinners. We'll pray for you. <laughs> and I remember walking in that day, and I remember seeing all of my buddies that I had grown up playing baseball with standing there that I had played even my freshman year with, and standing there and looking at the roster, and and walking up and them seeing me and them turning around and seeing me walking up and them just kind of walking by me and not saying, saying anything to me. Um, looking back on it, that sh probably should have been my first clue. And I remember walking up to that list and for the first time in my life, not seeing my name on it. And then walking around school the rest of the day with all of my stuff, having conversation after conversation with all of these kids that I'd played baseball with for 12, 12 years, asking me how come I wasn't playing this year and then having to explain to them about the muscular dystrophy. And as a kid in high school, having to have this conversation and saying, yeah, I know we've played this game our whole lives, but I don't think I'm going to be able to play ever again not knowing why, not knowing how to even put that into words, them really not knowing what to say. I remember getting home that day. I know my mom probably remembers this day. I just lost it. I didn't understand something that I loved so much and that I had planned on spending the rest of my life doing could be taken away from me like that. Overnight, that took place. In a moment, it was all gone. And it started this whirlwind of events that took me down this road of life in my faith. Of this walk with God in my brokenness. And if I'm being honest, this caused me to have some really 
really difficult questions about God. About who this God was that I grew up hearing about. I grew up in church. I heard about this God over and over again who loved me so much and, and wanted what was best for me. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, really? Why is this happening to me? Why am I a 16-year-old kid who can't run? What 16-year-old kid can't run? Like, uh, why is this happening to me? And I can remember being so angry and, and over the next couple of years going through so many different counselings and so many different physical therapies and all these doctors in our life, mine and my mom's and my sister's, trying to figure out what was next for us and and what the best course of action was going to be and, and what we could do to maybe even slow this down or, or, or to reverse it or do anything and all trying to figure out what was next. And there wasn't a single day that there was ever given any hope to any of us about our condition ever changing or ever getting better. In fact, the only thing that we are ever told was that every day it's going to get worse. I felt like a piece of trash that was thrown on the ground and people would just trample on me as they walked on by. And I didn't feel lovable at all. from that day into the 10th grade, from the 10th grade until now, there hasn't been a day that my physical state has gotten any better. In fact, it only gets worse. And I ran as far away from God as I possibly could. Because I didn't understand how a God of love would let this happen to me. I went through a drug addiction. I was arrested. I went to a drug treatment facility just to come home and relapse. I overdosed, almost accidentally killing myself. I owed a drug dealer about $6,000 that I couldn't pay. He was looking for his money or he was going to kill me. I lost my job. I lost everything. I finally hit the lowest moment in my life. Feeling like I had destroyed and lost everything. And I was done. And I contemplated taking my own life. And by contemplated, I mean I walked to an overpass with every intention of jumping off. And God intervened that day. <laughs> I was at this place or I felt like a prisoner. I felt like a prisoner in my own body to where I would literally shake my fists at God and ask Him, God, why, why is this happening to me? This doesn't make sense. I didn't do anything to deserve this. I didn't do anything to, to, to deserve this and to have to go through this. It's almost funny the way God works, isn't it? It's funny how He places people in your life a lot of which you need before you ever even realize you need them. I mean, God placed people in my life in strategic times, and you want to know why I think he did? To show me Jesus when I couldn't see Jesus. To be the hands and feet of Jesus when I didn't want anything to do with him. One of them was my mom. 
Many of you know her. She never gave up on me. No matter what I put our family through, a lot of that came after she lost her husband. You guys know my wife, Courtney, right? She's back there in the back. Yep. She's my best friend. Yes, she is. She's hot. <laughs> Don't say amen to that. We'll have a problem. Annika. Just kidding. We've known each other since we were six years old. We actually met when my family moved to California in this building. It wasn't Rise Church then. Uh, it was a little Southern Baptist church called Valley Bible. Uh, some of you in this room were there, or here, rather. But Courtney, she has, she has been through a lot with me. She's been down this road of brokenness with me. And she has stood by my side every second of it. Let's get that last picture up there, Paul. Here we are. This is my wife. She's pregnant. <laughs> She's pregnant with our first son, Maverick. He's four now. What a blessing he is, most days. <laughs> we have two kids. They're awesome. So is my wife. If you don't know her, you need to know her. She's good people. I think I'll keep her. <laughs> the trick is going to be convincing her to keep me. That's a different story. <laughs> As over time my condition worsened, like I said, there was no hope given to me by any, anyone, any doctors. The only thing that I was ever told was that they couldn't tell me exactly when, but their best guess was be between somewhere of the ages of like 30 to 50, um, that I'd be in a wheelchair, that I wouldn't be able to walk anymore either. There was nothing that I could do to reverse what was happening to me. And I'm still walking. Some days better than others. <laughs> it, it, the only silver lining that I was ever given by any doctors is they said, you know, you, you can't work out. You can't, you can't do anything too physically strenuous because of the muscle disease that you have. If you tear a muscle or, or do too much damage to a muscle like that, it will never repair itself. And so you can actually do more damage by working out. So they said, so what we, the only thing that we can tell you to do is to get into a swimming pool. And that's like the best and only physical therapy that we would really encourage you to even do because the likelihood of you tearing a muscle in a pool are a lot less likely because it's underwater and your body doesn't weigh really you know, anything. And they couldn't tell me for certain, but they, they thought that this might, maybe, possibly, it'll slow down the effects of, of the muscular dystrophy, and you might be able to walk longer, and you might be able to be a little more active later in life if you do that. And wouldn't you know it, growing up, let's put that picture back up there. It's still up there. Maybe if I turned around, I would know that. Uh, wouldn't you know, growing up, this is the house that I grew up in in Tulare. Any Tulare people in the house? Tulare's terrible. <laughs> I, can, I can say that. <laughs> but this is my mom's house in Tulare. I say that now because I live in Visalia. <laughs> but this is my mom's house in Tulare, and right back there you'll see the edge of the pool. And that's where I grew up. Long before I was ever diagnosed, long before they knew anything. And being a kid in Tulare with a swimming pool in the valley, that's where you spend your entire summer. All my friends, that's where we were. Any summer, you could find us. Still, my mom, she doesn't live there anymore, but still has a pool, and we spend most of the summer there to this day. But given that, that was, that's what the doctors told me, to, to, to be in the pool. And, and again, I was in that thing like every single day, long before they ever even told me that. So isn't it interesting that God would use a pool in John chapter 5 to speak to my soul? 
You know what I find amazing about this miracle in John 5 that we look at? Jesus, with one word spoken, could have healed every single person laying by this pool. And yet he chooses one. Just one. And we don't even know his name. But it tells us in John chapter 5 that this particular man had been in this predicament for about 38 years. Was he born in this condition? We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us, so we're not sure. He could have been an old man for all we know. But he's laying there. And he was burdened. And before Jesus even begins to heal him, Jesus asks him a question, which I think is pretty obvious. Did you catch it? Jesus asks this man, do you want to get well? I can remember the very first time that I ever even read this passage or heard it taught on and reading it and thinking to myself like, come on Jesus, like I know you're the son of God and everything and you're pretty cool, but you're, you're acting kind of slow here right now, man. Like, come on, catch up, catch up. Like, does, does he want to get well? Of course he wants to get well. Look at him. He, he's laying on a mat. I think he's picking his nose. But he's laying on a mat. He, he's been laying here for 38 years, the scripture tells us. He can't walk. He can't move. And you come along being the son of God, and you have the audacity to ask this man if he wants to get well. Hello? Duh! Come on! But honestly, it's the thing that I love about this miracle because Jesus doesn't do a thing until he first poses a question. And it's the question of a lifetime. And he asks this man, do you want to get well? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and maybe Jesus is asking that of you today. Do you want to get well? Maybe you're sitting by the pool banks of Bethesda and you're waiting and you're hurting and you feel so close but your life is filled with pain and you're just lying there on a mat. Whatever that mat is for you. And it's causing division between you and God. And it's causing you to have some serious questions about who this God is. You can have everything else in my life, God. But not this. Oh, you want you want this? piece of my life? Uh-uh. You can keep going. You can have all authority over everything else in my life, but not this. Because I don't know what you're going to do with this. You can't have that. You know what's interesting? In verse 9, it says, instantly the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. He picked up his mat, and he walked. He didn't run. He didn't spin around and do a dance and do a backflip. And he, he just, he moved. You know what else I love about this story is it says that the man took his mat with him. Man, I would have left that thing there so quick. <laughs> I'd have been like, see ya. This, this symbol of brokenness in this man's life that had plagued him for 38 years, it says that he picks it up and he walks and he carries it with him. You know what that says to me? Some of us are going to have to carry some brokenness. Some of us are going to have to carry some pain. Some of us are going to have to carry some scars. And it also says to me that I don't think Jesus is so concerned a lot of the times about our physical state. But he's concerned about our heart. 
and he's concerned about our soul. He's interested in you. He wants to use you, and maybe that means you're going to have to carry some brokenness with you. Maybe God isn't going to completely remove that brokenness so that you never have to think about it again. But maybe he wants you to carry that baggage and carry that pain. You see, sometimes in the church, I think we hear this word blessed, and we think of all the good things that we want out of God and for God to do to us, right? We come into church and we ask everybody, how are you? And then we hear somebody say, oh, I'm so blessed this week. I, my job is going really well. My kids are behaving for the first time ever. I have all my bills paid. I got to go see, um, I don't know, every movie I wanted to. I can buy anything I want. I don't have any financial baggage. And, and everything is going so great in life. I, I just bought a new car and a bigger house. and I am so incredibly blessed. Do you want to know what that word actually means, blessed? It means to be made holy. And sometimes that hurts. Sometimes that means we're going to have to carry some baggage. I carry mine with me. But the thing that I have learned is that the biggest blessings in my life have always been born out of the deepest pains. You see, I was somebody who was sitting by the pool banks of Bethesda waiting on God, waiting to have my physical condition healed. That was the blessing Matt was looking for. And then Jesus came along, and he healed me. But it wasn't in the way that I thought, and it wasn't in the way that I necessarily wanted him to. Because you see, what I didn't realize was that the biggest disability in my life was not my physical condition, but it was my heart. It was bitterness. It was anger. It was pain. The band's going to come up as we close. We only have like 12 more hours or so, don't worry. I remember growing up and meeting this guy, and I didn't like him at all, because he was very honest, and I thought, who, who, this, who's this guy? He doesn't know me, but I remember him saying something to me that has stuck with me my entire life, and, and I remember what he said was, when we're walking through the valleys of our life and we're experiencing pain and we're suffering, we only have two choices. We can choose to be bitter or we can choose to be better. And it's the only thing I have for you today to write down. Those words are very similar, aren't they? The only difference is found in the second letter. The first one, the second letter is an I. And I have come to realize in my life that what that I in the word bitter actually stands for is me. It's an I sin. It's a prideful sin. It's focusing on all of the ways that Matt has been wrong all of the ways that everybody else around me has let me down, all of the ways that God has let me down. And bitterness, it's a prideful sin. And that word better, it has the letter E as the second letter. What I've come to realize is that what that E stands for is an eternal blessing. Not because this life has anything to do with us. Because it doesn't. It has everything to do with him. 
So the question today is not, is God going to heal your brokenness? He might. But maybe it's the brokenness in your life that actually is the greatest blessing. The question is, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? Can we pray? God, your word tells us in Philippians chapter 1, it says this, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Some of you in this room have been waiting for a long time. I can feel it. This man had been waiting for 38 years. And what he didn't know is that Jesus was on his way. And what you need to know is that while it may seem like all you're doing is laying on a mat waiting, God is still working. And even if we don't and aren't made whole on this side of eternity, our prize is on the other side of this life. And God is good. God, we thank you this morning. God, I pray that we would be people that praise you for our brokenness. Because it may be the very thing that you use to impact the people around us. God, I pray that we would look for those opportunities. that we would allow you to do what only you can do. We love you, Jesus. Amen.